0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around cybersecurity for the last 20 years, and I have a lot of experience working with a variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory for companies. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, i always intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is also affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast. I have a pleasure today to talk to Matteo from Flair about his journey and how they started the company. Mateo, can you please tell me about yourself and the company?
1: Thank you for having me today, Ebony. I'm happy to be here. Quickly on Flair. So Flair is a five-year-old company. It's always tough to put a time associated with the company because I'd say, we'll get into it, but the first year, nothing really happened. But it is a five-year-old company. And what we do, we are looking from an outside perspective to organization. And basically, the big question we're trying to answer is when the information, when the data leave your ecosystem, your environment, your infrastructure, where does it end up outside of your perimeter or outside of your organization environment? So it could be employee that do mistakes and disclose sensitive information on different SaaS platforms. It could be Slack. It could be GitHub. It could be file sharing, such as Google Drive, Dropbox, etc. So really kind of a data exposure due to human error, but also to leak information due to malicious intent. So for sure, we'll be looking into the illicit communities, dark web, chat, instant messaging platform even open a cybercrime forum. So we'll be looking basically from a lot of perspective to our company, what is related to you and how you can control this exposure or what we call the digital footprint and try to be proactive in removing those sensitive information before the exposed information is being used by cyber criminals with malicious intent. So the concept of good cyber hygiene.
0: With a digital transformation and everybody moving to using cloud and SaaS, I think it's definitely very important because sometimes we don't even know where all our eggs, you know, we used to joke about don't put all the eggs in one basket. Now we have so many different baskets and not all of them controlled by us. So we don't even know the eggs we have. So it's definitely a problem to solve.
1: Absolutely. We start with what you know and try to discover a bigger exposure or, or footprint that you may not be aware of. A, kind of a loop back of taking what you know, this, expand this knowledge and then complement the knowledge that of, of you have
0: in your exposure. Thank you. So in this podcast, we cover a lot and we're trying to understand what happened in your life, what motivated you five years ago that, you know what, I'm going to start a company and I do it myself or his co-founders because this, this is the reason. So what was there five years ago?
1: To be- Honestly, the main reason I can sum it in one sentence is I asked myself, you want to create a company? I wanted to create a company. I wanted to do my own thing. Since even when I was in university, that was always in in mind. At some point, I had a good job, a good place, and nice pay. I usually call it the golden prison. But I said, if I'm not starting my company, would I regret it? And the answer was right away, yes. So I say, well, there's no other question to do. I need to do it. I need to try to do it. I want to do it. And if I don't take a chance and stay comfortable with what I am,
0: I will regret it later. On. So why now? Like why five years ago? Why not 10 years ago? Why not in the future?
1: That's a good question because I'm not sure if I should have done it before. My idea was I've graduated like 10 years ago. I was still in university. So I graduated approximately seven, eight years ago. And I thought it was a good idea. I've worked in the industry for four years before starting a startup to build a network to know people. Because that's exactly how we were able to get our first sales, is the contact that we made. I'm still debating, should I have created the startup when I graduated? Or did I make a good choice of working a few years in the industry, making some contacts and then starting the startup afterward. So the downside of, yes, the company could have been four years older and being maybe more advanced. But at the same time, would it be successful? Would I have been able to bring the company to where it is today without the contact that I made well?
0: You mentioned golden prison. I'm not actually familiar with the term.
1: While a golden and cuff golden prison is kind of the same concept of cyber 3D, it's you were in the same situation probably if you need to where we can a nice job. A lot of challenge, a lot of good condition. It, it's fun. It, it is a good job. If the challenges are interesting or diverse, you are able to touch a different all the different aspects of cybersecurity. The condition are great. The people are brilliant. So it's really tough to say, look, I'm going to pass on this and take one year without any salary to start my own thing.
0: Yes, I hear you. It's definitely an interesting and on reflection on my side, it's an interesting job because you basically, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle pretty much that you decide what you do how you do this, and then you win the wins and you pay for the losses as well. It's all, all together. For sure. Great. So, you had an idea. Actually, you didn't talk about an idea. You had an inspiration to, own your, to have your own company. But why in this space? Why not in cloud security? Like, how do you decide to open a company, especially in this space because of XYZ? I don't know.
1: That's a very good question. And you're right. They skipped the idea part. So, now I wanted to start something. I look around and say, I was working in a red team. I was actually managing a red teamer.
0: For the people that are listening right now to us and they're not cybersecurity core people, red team to simplify the stuff is basically what you call a white hacker, a good hacker, or somebody what's called pen testing or different way of pen testing, that someone that actually testing your environment to understand if there is no problems in your environment to make sure that the bad guys will not do it for you. And simplifying this by a lot right now.
1: Exactly. And our mission was kind of to impersonate a sophisticated attacker and see how this attacker could attack the organization. It was super technical, like the state actor, a little, really the more sophisticated attack. And at the same time, you see all this information, like, Going back to the basic, making sure you have, you control your access, you know, your environment and your people are trained, but kind of a going back to this. So at the same time, we're kind of impersonating super sophisticated attacks. But at the same time, we saw there was still a gap into controlling the information and like looking at direct proof from author's perspective of mistakes or attacks that succeed and lead to information disclosure. I'm coming from the financial sector, so I've worked in banks before. So we started a company that was a little bit more financially focused. Even our seed round, we raised it with a FinTech fund that was our lead investor. So it was financial crime. So really, how can we look from an entire perspective to see what are the fraud attempts that succeed? What are the different PII? what are the different banks' accounts that what are the different that are being that circulate on those illicit community and try to take like the concrete example that happened on a day to day basis and try to stop that before actually Continuing of impersonating super sophisticated attacks and try to push the boundary of cybersecurity, but at the same time we're not necessarily being able to manage the day-to-day fraud and hacking attempt that succeed. So that was a little bit of like the mindset I have in place of like it's nice, it's super interesting to the red team, but at the same time it's look like we are creating super advanced security control, but we are still have example of basic attack that still succeed that we don't necessarily address that. That was kind of the idea when we started the company. So let's start with the basics. Let's address this. The 80-20 rule? Mostly. Yeah, I think we can sum it up. So let's try to look at what the concrete example that succeeds, the fraud attempt, and let's stop that. And we started with more like the financial aspect. So we're looking for more like financial crime, money laundering, know your customers. So trying to discover who were behind those fraud schemes and who's associated and what are the different organizations behind that. And we were successful with a few financial institution in the financial sector and at some point we figured out that it was a bigger opportunity.
0: When you say bigger opportunity, did you do actually market research? Did you validate somebody gonna buy your idea and solution?
1: No, it's even a funnier story than that. We raised a seed round, financial focus, fintech, financial crime, fraud prevention. Our target was to go on the mid-market, basically the smaller bank in the US. Ends up not necessarily where we end up not being successful there. And then we got an inbound from a retail store. Okay like loyalty fraud we can still help them somewhere in in some way and then we had another inbound lead that was a public transportation system and agency close to montreal and we're like well we have no clue how we can help you like we are a fintech like we're a financial crime prevention and they said, look, what you do is looking from a not perspective to the organization of what are the different data that is related to me. And I don't have this view. And I think that's the question I ask all the chief information security officer, and I always get the same answer, is do you have a view where your information ends up when it leaves your environment? And I mean, the answer is always no. And we figured out that we have a technology that was basically able to gather a ton of information abroad on the dark web. We started as well to go more on the clear webs, on the different SAS, to the human side already, because we saw it was also a need for the financial institution. But we figured out that this looking from outside perspective to the organization also met a need that all organizations that were digitalized had. And this is how we stop and say, look, what are our ideal customer here? And turns out our ideal customer is company that are heavily digitalized. So basically a lot of employees that use computer on a day-to-day basis. And so far, I'd say our ICP started at 500 to 1,000 employees. So it's still fairly broad. It's not like large, necessarily all just large and really large company. But it's, we are still doing business with organizations that are mature enough to have at least one or two people in cybersecurity.
0: So you, you had an idea. You also went to raise money. You already had some customers, pretty much. And you mentioned we, so I guess it's not only you. It was you and somebody else? Well, it was
1: a full team, but I have a team. We started with three co-founder and an additional co-founder. That's when employee number one that ends up being our last co-founder. And so, yeah, I mean, there was a discussion between the co-founder, the sales team, and we figured out that... You wanted
0: a company. How you end up having co-founders? Did you went to look for one? It was your friends? What happens there?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good question because my first co-founder—I say my first one because it's uh, the first person I approached to start a company—was uh, Israel Ali, with, which is now our chief architect at Flair. We're doing cybersecurity competition together. We both study at the same university. Do a lot of CTF competition. We were in New York for a final of the CTF competition. So basically, we qualified. They fly us in New York, and we were walking in the, in the street of New York just before the competition. I say, look. Israel, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know what, but I'd like to start something and then would like you to be part of it. And he say, That's great to hear, Matthew, because I feel the same. He said, Look, okay, that's good. Let's let's put it on the back burner and we'll see. So he works consultant at Google for a few years. I work in the financial institution. When I met the, one of our other co founder that unfortunately is not with us anymore, but was there with us at the time, David, I was a PhD at University of Montreal. We do some research together and we thought it was kind of a fit of this is the knowledge of the illicit community that you have that, and that we develop. I have the industry the industry knowledge, definitely see our needs in a financial institution. So the three of us started a company. And then when we got our first client, we went and see to talk to Johan with our last co-founder and said, Johan, do you want to join Flare? And said, look, yes, I'm happy to. So we took the money for our first clients and, <laughs> and basically decided to reinvest that in the company to kind of uh, get a little bit of uh,
0: more people involved. In the when you were choosing co-founders, were you trying to figure out who will do the technical part, who will do the sales part, the marketing part? Was you like some kind of strategic on responsibilities in the company? Yes and no. The thing is, that's still a believe that I have today
1: and we can touch on this later. At the time I was a CEO, so I was more on the, I say I was because I will get to it, but we made a transition this year and I moved to the CTO roles to kind of go back as well to the technical route. I'm a technical person. David was an academic. Johan is a technical person. Israel is a technical person. So we were all kind of a engineer almost all engineer that know from university or for different student clubs or competition we worked together already so that was kind of a good point we know each other already so it was a little bit easier to start i think it's easier to start a company with people you know already than people you don't know at all but at the same time the focus was really to say look let's do something unique let's do something that is technically interesting and I mean, we'll pr- probably have done all the error that the technical people does, but we're still conscious of doing the sales side. Like we were still like aware that we need to go on a sales perspective, on a marketing perspective. I was a technical person, but I was already kind of more on the business side, more on the managing side of things. I, I was more exposed to the business as well. So do we have the perfect aggregate of people to start a company? Well, it wasn't on paper, the perfect one, but the team was strong. The team knew, understood the problems. And the team had the contact to, to build a, the, the relationship and, and to do the sales. So even though we were technical people, we roll our sleeve, talk to people, make the first sales. And all the first sales that we had when we raised the first seed round, and now we raised the seed earlier this year. But when we raised the seed round, all the sales were, were made. by the
0: So, and I don't think that's a perfect team. It's like everybody starts from saying mm-hmm. many different stories here on a podcast as well. And I think it's kudos for people that want to start because I think more people are thinking about it. And not starting. And this is one of the reasons we have the podcast that inspire people to hear what other people did and hopefully help them to start their own journey as well. And also learn from, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, I want to, you know, I want to go with this part. Yeah. One of the questions I always ask people, and I think it's gonna be fun to hear from you guys because you all start as a technical folks. And I think technical folks are trying to always be not truthful, but kind of say as it is, versus salespeople sometimes trying to sell the future or what? not always there. And when you start your own company, you don't have all the bells and whistles. You don't have all the solutions. And it makes sense. So when you go to a customer and a customer asks you X, Y, Z, like, do you have this? Do you tell them, yes, we do, even though so it's still not in development? Or you say, no, we don't have it, but we're going to make it for you, happen for you in the next two months. Like I call it a chicken and egg. What do you sell? Chicken or the egg first? And I'm wondering <laughs> what your position. And if you listen to any of the episodes, everybody listening to the episodes, Everybody has their own approach, and I think it's all again. There's that approach. There's no wrong or bad. If the customer is happy in the end, I think it's I think it's all all good.
1: Mm-hmm. Now it's a good question, and I think it depends as well of the situation. And honestly, even right now, like, when we speak to prospect, one good compliment that we receive and one good like what makes us the most happy is like they say, "Look, you're you're transparent about the capacity of platform where it's good, where it's not." necessarily on par or leader in the market. So the different place because you cannot be a leader in all the different areas too, right? That's not possible. Even like the size we are at. So we need to kind of a focus on 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 the uh, on the different square on, on the chessboard we want to be the best of and really kind of focus on that. So even though we have some clients that say, look, I know you're not exactly there, but you're open to suggestions. You try to understand the problem. You're open to criticism. You get the, the criticism you 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 go back on your end you come back with a solution you're proactive on the issue we have that is more valuable in a a business relationship than having all the features and all the bells and whistles in the platform and we close some deal. And, and the early deal was this like we trust the team like we trust that you are you get the feedback you understand what we're trying to tell you and you do it I mean when we first start, start and, and that's why I say it depends, because I think it's the right way to say, like, this it's not in there. This is where it is in the roadmap. This is the plan that we are planning to, to execute on. Sometime when you do a sales and you say, do you have this feature? If you know you're already working on it. And I mean, our sales cycle, or originally our sales cycle was really large company. So, like, it was definitely more than two months, <laughs> the sales cycle for sure. So at this point, you say, would it be, I'm, am I confusing the clients if I'm telling no, but in two months, when we'll sign the contract, it will be there? Uh, sometimes it's just simpler and create less confusion to just say yes if you're confident it will be there by the time you sign the, the contract. So that's why I say it depends. It depends on yeah. being open to the clients, but at the same time, not necessarily giving more information and creating some noise on the line. That is not necessary. Fair,
0: fair. Is there an event or something happened? in the history of the company or your history that you knew you in the right track, you actually going where you're supposed to be going and you started the right company and you're going to the right direction.
1: I think the biggest uncertainty is when we kind of did the pivot, like everything was happening at the same time. Like we raised the seed, the seed round we raised late 2019, just before COVID. We had no pipeline, no conversation with the mid-sized bank. That was our original plan. So we did a pivot based on the inbound and we started to work on this and it's always like we did a pivot. The first try didn't succeed at the mid-sized bank. So we had a few good deals. And then at some point, even our existing clients that were from the financial sector, we we pitched the idea of, like, yes, we were more like a dark web, illicit community fraud, but this is what we do. Like We'll be looking for your information all around the internet. And it was like, wow, yes, that's interesting. And we saw, we did this, this pitch to it like, out of our seven customers, when we raised our seed round, all of them, they were interested by this pitch. And we say, okay, like we are into something now we will be able to execute. And I'd say six months after we started to build, we focused a lot on what is the differentiator. And we ends up saying the first square where we we'll would be the best at is technical leakage. And technical leakage, what I mean is like technical information, technical data. So IT data that is leaking outside. So... API key, internal domain name, source code, you name it, like configuration files, And I mean, we are working with really large clients that have our tools with other of our competitor at the same time. Like they do have multiple tools. And when we presented that use case, they said, yes, you'll be the tool. Like they, co- they compare us to all of the other tools in the market and say, your prioritization, your contextualization is better for this type of information we go for you with that. And we say, okay, well, we are into something there. Really the concept of keeping it simple. And another good sign that we receive, it's like one client that came back and say, I don't know what you do, but it just worked. And we're like, <laughs> yes, that's great. That's great to hear. This is a, this is a good sign. And like, it just worked. It's simple. It takes half an hour to configure the platform. It gives you relevant information. It's clear. It's And even though people are saying, what are differentiators? Say, well. It's usable, it's simple. People say, yeah, everyone say that. But yeah, I know everyone say that, but I mean, that's a little bit of the proof point we receive and we, we, we still believe that it's good Good feedback when a client say, look, I've tried all of those tools. They are super powerful, super complex. Yours is simple and I like that. You we say, well, it is a differentiator.
0: Nice, nice. When you join the work for a company, they sometimes ask you, where are you want to be in five years? Ask a different <laughs> question. And it's actually seen really well because you guys have been around for five years. What is the advice you will give to yourself if you go back five years and when you start the company?
1: That's a good one. Don't be afraid of the competitor. I overestimated all the competitor. And some, I realized like me, like two years ago, so I, I basically three years after working on the startup, is with a team of 15 people, 20 people, we were able to do something that have not been done And we thought that our competitors were way more advanced and they were way more bigger and were a little bit shy with what we have in our product. Like I'm a tech person, I'm always shy with my product. If you're not shy with your product, it's because you waited too long to sell it, to to try to sell it. So it's, I'm still shy of my product to some extent, but I have to confess, like speaking to clients, getting the feedback, looking at the market, we were into something and we have a good product. But I thought it for, for when I started the company and it took a, f- a few a few times before I was more confident so like I say don't maybe it's biased by being a little bit more you know the people that, that that have the imposter syndrome I do have the syndrome so having this concept of don't get blind that this imposter syndrome when you build something I think be proud of what you do and I mean be conscious that all the existing player in the field have weakness and what you do is, potentially have the potential to to, to solve those weakness and, and to be better what's in there so don't be like don't be too conservative or don't be to be a little bit more bolder than, than than what you can do but at the same time i think one thing that i've done well and it, it's completely against the rule is don't look too much to your competitor when you start otherwise it will discourage you that's something that I have one of the advisors that has been telling me that and it's said. Stay naive. Keep that naivety. I don't know if that's a real word in English. Staying naive because that's really kind of a how you will bring to something different to, to, to the market. Otherwise, you'll see to a company and say, oh, well, it's already been done. It's a problem. There's nothing more to do there. I won't be able to. And you discourage yourself. So I think Yes, be aware. I mean, we were aware of one competitor when we started. that was like market leader, but the rest of the competitors we discover during our journey of like people that are like, do you know that tool? Do you know that tool? Do you know that tool? No. Oh, that's another competition. That's another competitor. And I think if we knew all of this information when we started, I think that would have discouraged us and avoid us to do what we are doing today and, and to have a tool that is actually competitive right now.
0: Thank Yeah gonna to switch topics and switch gears. We're gonna talk about dark side. What we call dark side is when you share stories about stuff that didn't work as you expected. Yeah. Uh, for now, this section is uh, totally free and available for everyone. There's ideas to make it Patreon only in the future, but for now, everybody's just listening, feel free to continue yeah. listening, like us, commenting, tell your friends about it as well. So, Matteo, what went wrong? And you mentioned there are some things that you didn't expect and changed and. Definitely don't share confidential information, but share some stories about that know next- A lot
1: of things went wrong. I think, actually, like we had one day where we had two churn on the same day. That was really a bad day. And two, like when like fifteen percent of your clients that churn in one day, that is a hard day. So there was some data was rough than the other. And the lesson learned from there, from that, is we ex- we assume that the clients were technical people that know. How to use their tools and they were using it at its full potential. But we waited too long to invest into customer relationships. And like we assumed some clients were like, okay, there are technical staff there, they will figure it out, the tools, and they will be able to use it. And we find out that mostly those clients churned because, well, they don't necessarily took the time. They didn't they don't necessarily discover all that feature that you think they will benefit from. And that was a little bit of a what we heard we have a terrible sales meeting terrible investor meeting as well i i, re, I recall a, a meeting in toronto where like classic like you pitch a solution and people are like on their laptop doing other things and okay well i i know you're busy i don't think you're gonna work and i mean it, it works on both sides like, i guess i even though it's a big company i don't want to do business for them anymore <laughs> even though right now we probably have more more attention from there than we had at the time, but. We went to the meeting, they said, Yeah, we know all this. What's different? Tell me, I have, I'm like, I'm a really busy, busy person. I have five minutes for you. Tell me what is different. And then when you speak of, Yeah, but uh, faster, be more efficient in what you say. And like, at some point, you're like, You're not interested. You just want this meeting to be as short as possible so you can pass to the next thing. There's no future here. And I mean, it was a terrible. Like, it's tough when you start a company. Did
0: you learn anything? So let's kind of go deeper on this one because it's yeah. interesting topic with VCs. And I hear a lot of interesting part. The trade VCs as a sales process. Don't get discouraged. Just move on. What did you learn from pitching to VCs that you can think you can recommend other people to do this inside the same?
1: VC are people that are really good at recognizing patterns. Like one mistake that that we done at some point is trying to we tangle ourselves and explain the tools and it becoming like com- confusing. or trying to explain something technically advanced to someone who don't necessarily have the technical knowledge sometimes you trip uh, by yourself like you basically you're setting yourself for failure and basically together you choose together and and fall and the reason why is because you like they won't stop you they won't like you see the confusion in, in what you say and trying to explain more and more at the sense that they will you'll get to that haha moment and it's just getting worse like each time you continue explaining the technical part it get more confused and what I want to go with that is at some point I decided to stay really high level at first, give a clear story on really high level without getting too technical and letting the VC ask the technical question. If the, the VC understand they will ask those questions and this is how, you know, you have a good fit. Like I've, this is now this VC got this part right, got this part right. And if they don't get it. That don't mean that it was a bad meeting. They don't, sometimes they are not interested on, they know, I mean, you cannot be an expert in every domain's tech. So they have the important eyeline and they will look at other metrics, sales, logo, team. And even though they don't fully understand and grasp the difference, for us, it turned out to be good meeting. And even some investors are within player that I I don't think at first they captured the full tech side of the company, but they recognize that the logo were there the need was there, the market was there, the number were there, and we had the right team. And say so when you start a company when you're at seed, that is what they're looking for. So I think trying to explain too much and trying to convince that person and to make that person fully aware of all the text and what a differentiator sometimes is a trap and it's a rabbit hole that you can dig into and screw the meeting up.
0: Sure. Thank you, Mateo. Thank you very much. A lot of interesting insight, a lot of good information. I think it's very valuable information. what is it? Want to start a company, especially in the tech side as well? Do you want to add?
1: No, I think to to your point, I think we the bigger problem with the, the cybersecurity is we have a lot of first time founder, and we are lacking a number of cybersecurity company in, in the Canadian market to to start. So I think right now we see more and more company growing, getting acquired, going public in cybersecurity, and I think it's encouraging. So I think one. Advice or one wish that I make is more and more people will start because I think it's the right timing. We are starting to have more like experienced people, successful people in cybersecurity in Canada, in Montreal, Toronto, and like even I, I know more like Montreal and Toronto market, but I'm guessing it's probably the same. Even on an Eastern, Eastern Canada, we have a lot of successful like this. So I think if you're looking to start a, a cybersecurity company, I think it's the right timing. Like we're starting to get more and more of an ecosystem. It's not Silicon Valley yet. But I think it's a better timing because you have more support than, for example, five or 10 years ago when you started the company. In cybersecurity. So I thank it's the much. right timing. Do it.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you for the advice. Everybody listening, thank you very much for being staying here with us. Please comment and subscribe to the episode as well. We have more stuff coming as well. Mateo, thank you very much for your time and dedication.
1: Thank you for the invitation. I was happy to be there.